Welcome to Leadership Backstage, a series of unique conversations with leaders about their role today and tomorrow. Hi, my name is Tricia Schroeder-Hohenwald. I am an executive coach, an organizational consultant, and the owner of DSH International HR. Another podcast about leadership, seriously? Yes, but somehow different. Over the years, I have been involved in lots of discussions about leadership. What it is, what it is not, what it will be, what it should be, and so on. But from my perspective, far too little open discussions have taken place with leaders about this subject. This is what I want to change here. I want to give leaders a voice, listen to what they say, and see what we can all learn from each other. And also, I have worked with many great leaders in the confidential space of our coaching sessions. But this time, it's not a conversation behind closed doors. The leaders here have accepted to share their thoughts openly, and I hope you will enjoy this backstage view on leadership. Michael. Hello, hello. <laughs> Very happy to have you here on this podcast. Pleasure. Um, many of the audience will know you, but some people will not. So I'll just say a few words about uh, who, who you are and, and then you will, you will add yourself about, uh, about your journey when we start the conversation. You are an internationally renowned uh, transformative coach. This is how I know you, because you're also a teacher and mentor. I had the pleasure to, uh, to have this uh, Super Coach Academy with you and to continue learning with you. So we have a, a very special relationship in this case. Indeed. And, um, but you're also the author of six books, best-selling best-selling books um, around a very special approach about how to see life and and how to understand the mind that you will probably explain during the podcast and that's um, a topic that I would like you to talk more about um, a bit later mm-hmm. and you have reached the one million one million uh, mark at with your TED talks and uh, so, so many, many people listening to your TED Talks, which were uh, really interesting. And I thought it would be uh, also yeah, important for the audience, for these uh, leaders who are listening to the podcast, to also know about you. So that's why we are having this conversation. And, Very cool. Uh, yeah. So, uh, Michael, let's uh, talk first to the Michael as an entrepreneur because you have so many hats on and uh, maybe let's talk to you as a, as, an, as a successful entrepreneur to start with. Yeah, well, I mean, it's funny that you say that because I, I kind of had to do a little reality check and go, am I? And then I went, yeah, I am. I, I mean, you, you know, it, it, it is funny how our self-perception often lags behind reality. Um, you know, I, I, I still in many ways think of myself as an out-of-work actor, but I haven't been since the nineties. I mean, it, it's, yeah. it's, it's like, um, and I, I remember my brother who is a director at Google, uh, saying to me at one point, how's your business going? And I said something like, Oh, I don't have a business. And he said, well, how many people work for you? And I was like, seven. 
And he said, and, you know, what's your turnover? And I said, well, low seven figures. And he said, yeah, I think you can say you have a business. So I, 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 I do, <laughs> but it isn't, it's never something I've sort of wanted to do. But now that I'm doing it, I love it. I, yeah. I, I really do. Yeah. Well, what, what kind of picture, what does it mean for you to be an entrepreneur? And why did it take so long for you to realize that you are one? <laughs> I, I think, you know, people are funny and I'm no different. Like we, we have a way we like to see ourselves. And, and I think in my mind growing up, like my dad ran a, um, he ran a company. So it, it sort of, and, and it was something that he loved, but he was a machinist. So he, he basically created a company that drilled really long holes in metal, um, which turns out to have so many applications. It's extraordinary. So they, designed and built the legs to the lunar module that landed on the moon. They designed in-air helicopter refueling probes, which is now, you know, has been a thing now since they created them. They built things for oil wells and nuclear submarines. And, and he absolutely loved it. And I think, so what I learned from him was that you can build a business around what you love. But I somehow in my head didn't, Re couldn't reconcile that with just doing what I love on my own without having to have a company to do it. So I thought of myself more like a solopreneur, I guess would be the phrase that's used. Somebody who, yeah, I do my thing. Um, and, and there's an old, I think it's an African proverb, but it, it, that if, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go with others. Mm. And at some point, it dawned on me that I was more interested in going far than fast. Mm. Uh, and so while I think we're still pretty agile and streamlined and all those things that you kind of know a, a, a successful small company needs to be, uh, I've also embraced the fact that, uh, you know, if I really want to be in this for the long haul, it's going to take more than me. And it does. And, and I've got a great team. Yeah. When, when, uh, when did it start your journey from uh, being a solopreneur to being uh, an entrepreneur? How long has it been? It's probably been about 13 years now, 14 years. When, when I first hired my first person, I had been told for a couple of years that I needed help, that I should get an assistant. And I did the cost benefit analysis multiple times. Well, I just can't justify having an assistant and my profit margins and blah, blah, blah. And then one day I was on my way to the office and I had my hand on the, um, the gate to go to the office and I was running through everything I had on and I went, Oh, I can't do this. And it wasn't like, Oh, woe is me. I can't do it. It wasn't, Oh, um, I'm not good enough, low self-esteem, I can't do this. It was literally, oh, I physically can't get done everything there is to get done. And I, I reached out to a recruitment agency and hired my first person that day. Mm. And, and that was the beginning. And then I've grown that way. When, when it gets to a point where I can see, oh, to keep growing, we're going to max out with who we've got then either I need better people who can handle more or to add more people. And, and it's a very much been a learning curve for me. We, the biggest we ever were, were seven. Um, mm -hmm. We've got down, back down to at one point to three. And now we, we have sort of 
three people that are pretty full-time and then freelancers that we use for specific things. Um, so I still, you know, keep my overheads as low as I can, but I've learned to not be afraid of them either. Yeah, yeah. And so where does the word leadership fit in there? Well, it's an interesting one because in the same way as being a bit of an accidental entrepreneur, mm. like a needs must entrepreneur, if, to do what I want to do in the world takes a team. Mm. So I wind up being a leader because at times that team needs leadership. It's not that I want to be a leader, but I am in a role where if, if there is no leadership, things don't work. So I, I lead of necessity, not of choice. But that's okay. I, I don't mind. But it, 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 it's a means to an end, not a yeah. goal in and of itself. How do you define leadership in your situation when you say the team le needs leadership? Well, there's a, there's a buck stops here element to it. In the end, somebody has to make the call. And somebody has to take the responsibility for that. And that's the leader. Now, it doesn't mean that the ideas are all mine by any means. In fact, a lot of the best ideas aren't. Um, but it's really interesting that with, this is a weird sideways example, but this kind of, to me, speaks to how I see leadership. I used to write comedy. And I, I wrote some BBC shows and I was a reasonably successful comedy writer. And I used to study it because I, I loved it. And I remember reading a comedy writer who used to work for Bob Hope, the comedian, who's prolific. I mean, he, and, and he had a joke that he was really trying to sell to Bob Hope. And he was like, you don't understand. This is funny. You got to read it. And, and Bob Hope finally turned around to him and said, well, then you go out on stage and you tell it. And to me, that really speaks to the heart of leadership. If, if I'm going to be the one who's, who's going to go out into the world and go, yeah, this is what we're doing, then I've got to be willing to make those choices. And I've got to be, I'm going to get them wrong sometimes. But if I don't do that, if it's a majority rule kind of a thing, nothing great is likely to happen. And, and so for me, that's, there, there's an arbitration element to leadership. I'm absolutely looking to be inspired from anywhere. But in the end, I know I, I'm going to make the call. And sometimes I'll make the call to just go with what somebody else thinks because I'm not clear. But it's still my call. And which, which means I, I'm not particularly big on fault and blame, but it means if there is any, it's mine. And I don't need the credit because I'm just doing my thing. So it, it, it's an interesting role where it's not, well, yes, I take the blame, but I also get the credit. No, it's just I'm willing to take the blame because I am taking the responsibility. And if good things happen, they happen all the way across the board. Everybody benefits when things go well. To my mind in the world, because I think what we share with the world is of great value, but also within the team. Because when we thrive and we're having a great time and we're loving it, we thrive and we're having a great time and we love it. <laughs> Together. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, very nice. Thank you. And uh, how does the understanding of the mind helps you 
do what you do and being a leader and an entrepreneur as you are and successful as you are, how does it help you? Maybe you can say a few words first about this understanding of the mind uh, for those who, who don't know it. And um, yeah, tell us how it helps you. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll do my best to... Uh, you know, I always, I always laugh. I'll, I'll do my best to explain the nature of the universe in two minutes or less. Um, this is what I have come to see, and I've been exploring this for over 30 years in, in different forms. The mind works more like a projector than a camera. We, we don't live in a real world that we can see differently depending on how we look at it. We live in a world that's, that's kind of a projection of our own thoughts. Now, in simpler terms, what that means is nothing that, n nothing that I do is personal and nothing that other people do is personal. It's not like we are all personally trying to deal with the same reality. As best I can tell, we're all living in separate realities that are all made from the same one reality. And you can call that one reality a spiritual reality or a deeper reality or an underlying reality. But at its heart, everybody is alive. Everybody is aware to a greater or lesser extent. They have the ability to experience life. And everybody is creative. They think. And, and they have the capacity to think anything, which is where creativity and innovation and possibility start to get generated in the world. And it's also where stuckness and limitation gets created. So what seeing that at deeper and deeper levels has done to me is it's allowed me to be less scared of the world because the world can't do anything to me. And it's allowed me to be less scared of my own inner crazy, my own inner thought-created world, because I recognize, oh, even that can't do anything to me. So when you start to see you are not your thoughts, though you think, and that the world, to a certain extent, both is what you think it is, but isn't. It's more than that. It opens up a lot more possibility. It means that everything is up for grabs. And so because I know that everybody is doing the best they can given the thinking they have that looks real to them, given their personal reality, mm -hmm. most of the time, even when somebody's behaving in a way, I really kind of go, wow, that's weird. I get that it isn't weird to them most of the time. And it doesn't feel personal, therefore. I don't have to go, how could they do this to me? I had, a, I had a, a bookkeeper at one point who for a while drove me crazy because she didn't seem to learn. Like she would come in with the same kinds of mistakes each month as we'd go through the books. And I'm not particularly attendant to books, but I, 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 I'm good at math. So I could glance at these sheets and tell that they were wrong. And I would get more and more upset with her until one day I saw her clean. And I, this might sound mean, I really wasn't. I just went, oh, she's not very bright. It's, I had been taking it personally. And I just thought, oh, she's in the wrong job. And, and I 
completely stopped feeling anything but 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 affection for her after that but i also let her go that day mm. so that kind of cleanness and clarity is mm. is one of the big fruits of this understanding is none of it feels personal and since it doesn't feel personal it's not stressful it's not hard it, I mean, it, I wouldn't say it never feels hard, but it's not intrinsically hard. It's not intrinsically stressful. And that means that it's sustainable because I don't burn out. I work harder than most people I know. Yes, I've seen. And, 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 and I don't, I'm not saying never, but on the whole, I don't find it hard. You know, I, I, one of my first audios was called Effortless Success. And my agent was, was uh, he said, you can't call it that. And I was like, why not? And he said, because you do stuff. And I said, okay, call it seemingly effortless success. And he laughed and said, no, effortless success is a better title. But, but that's the point. We equate hard work with struggle. They're two completely different things. Can you succeed without hard work? I'm not really sure I've ever seen that. Can you succeed without struggle? Absolutely. Every day. What would you say to, um, to a leader who talks about stress all the time? Hmm. Well, obviously it would depend on our relationship. When I work with leaders, we, take, we start by taking three days together. And that's often the hardest bit of the work is getting them to take three days. But, but once I know that we have a sufficient relationship and that we're in this conversation, we're not going to, we're not casually chatting over a beer. Then what I really have people look at is, well, what is stress and where does it come from? Because the predominant model of stress in our culture is germ theory. There are places where there are more stress germs and places where there are less. And the office has a lot of stress germs and certain projects have more stress germs, which means you're more likely to catch stress when you're in those environments than in an environment like vacation, where there's very few stress germs. So it's really unlikely to catch stress there. That's a completely false model to my mind. Yes. yes. Stress is the feeling of anxious thought. Whenever I think about things in an anxious way, in an insecure way, I feel stress. End of story. Has nothing to do with anything that's going on in the world. I can be stressed on the beach and I can be totally at ease in front of thousands of people. And I've experienced both. Now, I can also feel totally at ease on the beach and stressed in front of the, a thousand people. I mean, that, that happens too. But it's an independent variable. And when we try and cope with stress, in, as if it's a given, instead of looking deeper to see, well, where does this come from? And is it a given? And does it have to be there? We find ourselves experiencing a lot less of it. And when, you don't, when you're not stressed all the time, you don't need to do all the things you've learned to do to cope with stress. I, I talked to a, a, I had a client who was a COO of a, a medium-sized company, and she'd been promoted. Uh, and it, 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 Kind of that she she was worried it was the Peter principle. She'd been promoted to her level of incompetence because she'd worked her way up through the company and she'd run different departments and then she was promoted to COO. And she was finding it very stressful. And she said to me in our first, I think it was our very first conversation, how do 
how do real COOs cope with this? And I said, well, they drink, they take drugs, they have affairs, they, their health breaks down. And she was like, what? That's, that's, what, that's how I've got to do it? And I said, no, that's not how you have to do it. You asked me what do other people do. If you think stress is part of the job, then you have no choice but to find your best way of coping with it, which, by the way, can also include positive things like exercise and yoga and meditation. Right. So, but, but, you know, I was making a point. But, but, but if you see, oh, wait, there's no stress inherent in this, then, then you suddenly don't need all the things you've been doing to cope. If you don't drink the poison, you don't need the antidote. So uh, I'll, I'll, I'll share a different story. So at one point, uh, about five years ago, I think, we had a, a, a situation where we had um, a, a number of outstanding invoices both ways. So we owed a bunch of money, but we were owed a bunch of money. And the money we were owed was more than the money we owed. So I was like, okay, this will be fine. It's never happened before in my business, but for whatever reason, not one of the invoices we were owed paid on time. So I was in a situation where the people we owed money to were increasingly wanting their money and the people who owed us money were increasingly not giving it to us. And I was thinking, oh, my, thank God for my understanding of the mind because I'm coping with this stressful situation really well. And then it dawned on me in, a, in, a, in, a, in one moment when, when I asked one of my mentors, I said, how do real CEOs deal with this? And, and they said, variably. They deal with it variably. And for whatever reason, I heard in that, oh, it's not my understanding of the mind that's helping me cope with this stressful situation. It's my misunderstanding of the mind that's making it look like the situation is stressful. Instead of, I happen to be caught up in some really stressy thinking about a pretty basic situation that every entrepreneur knows. Like, if you're going to get stressed out about cash flow issues, you probably shouldn't be in business. Mm -hmm. That kind of comes with the territory, you know? Mm -hmm. And that, that's, so that's been huge for me. Yeah. There's so much to learn along the way. So what I, I hear from you is you had, you had a few moments of insights where you understood what, yeah, and, and you learned and, and, and took the, the next steps, including having mentors, including um, making mistakes and everything along the way. So um, well, could, you, could you share with us some, one, one or two really key other other key moments of learning for you along the way that she said okay that was decisive for my business and for my role as an entrepreneur and a leader this moment was really key for me moving forward yeah, there have been a there there have been a few and the 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 first one that came to mind when you when you said that was it was only about a year and a half ago that I decided it was okay that I was a leader mm. and, and specifically a thought leader. Cause in my yeah. field, that's really a more accurate term for, yes, I lead my company, but I am a thought leader in 
my field. And, and I didn't like that. That felt egotistical. I had all sorts of issues with it. And then one day I, I didn't. One day I just looked at it and went, oh, that's just an accurate description of what I do. It's not an ego thing. It's not like, I'm a thought leader. It, 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 it's like, no, I am an international thought leader. That is a pretty accurate description of what I do. And it was almost like magic. I mean, to, this, to the point where I don't talk about it often because it sounds like magical and people go, oh, how do I do that? But within less than 24 hours, without any new communication going out into the world, I didn't even write a, a, a blog or a newsletter in those 24 hours. We had invitations from Brazil, from Kuwait, and from a third country for me to go over and do major talks that came out of nowhere. And I have found throughout my business that each time I'm willing to acknowledge where I am and what I'm up to, the world goes, oh, finally, and gives me the next lot of possibilities. And it does feel like that. I don't think it really probably is that personal, but it, it feels like that. It's like, it's, it does feel like the universe is waiting. Come on, come on. Are you going to, you going to take this? You're going to take, okay. He's going to take it. Give him Finally, more. Yes. Yeah. Well, let's, let's just talk a little bit about this thought leadership, because it's also one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you because with this, uh, yeah, w one million people listening to your TED Talks and all the books you've sold over the years. And um, th there's something you have to say in the world and people are listening. Mm -hmm. And um, But how do, you, how do you become a thought leader? Apart from the fact that you realize one day you are one. So how do you become no. one? See, I think the idea of trying to become one is problematic. Mm -hmm. You know, there's an old joke in America that any, anyone who wants to be president should never be allowed to. I, I, I think if you want to be a thought leader, you probably shouldn't be allowed to, except that it doesn't work that way. But, but so I, 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 one of my favorite definitions of leadership is go where you want to go. And if when you turn around, there are people following you, you're a leader. So for me, you become, and I'm using air quotes, a thought leader by thinking. And if people follow your thinking, you've become a thought leader. And if they don't, then either you aren't doing a great job of articulating it, or your thoughts maybe aren't quite as interesting as you think they are. So yeah. as with what I'm hearing, and I don't know if you're hearing this, but what I'm hearing in everything I'm saying thematically is everything in becoming a leader is responsive to need. It's not a deliberate choice. It's not a deliberate act. I am going to lead. I am going to become this. I'm going to be the kind of person who. It, it's simply that a willingness to be followed, a willingness to take responsibility for the direction of travel and how things turn out, even though it's not up to you how things turn out. And that willingness makes you a leader, but only if people follow you. Mm. When did you start feeling this willingness? It's been gradual. 
it, 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 it has, I've been a very reluctant leader. And, mm. and to this day, I won't, I won't hire people who need a lot of hands-on management. Mm. I, I'm not a manager. Mm. So I, I tend to work with people who can manage themselves. But I am leading them because I am setting the direction and I am setting the tone and I am, uh, I'm the tuning fork. And if, if my, if my, if my, if my attunement is not clear, if the note I'm sounding isn't clear, people can't resonate with it. And if it's clear, not everybody will resonate with it, but the people that do will really resonate with it. You started your journey as a transformative coach or as a coach uh, with all sorts of modalities. And uh, from what I've heard so far about your journey, it was at the beginning also about you and not only about what you give to the world and about your own development. And when, when and how did it shift from warrant to learn for myself to I want to learn for sharing with others and for leading others in this direction. How did, how did it come? I, I think the journey, if I was going to draw it, it would be, there was a journey towards okayness. Mm. So a lot of my early stuff was just trying not to die. So in, in, the first TED talk, why aren't we awesome? you know, I tell the story. I was a suicidal teen. I, I really struggled. So most of what I studied early on was for me to not die. And then once I kind of knew I wasn't going to die to be less unhappy, to be less anxious, to be less depressed. And I got good at it. I, I became a very high functioning depressive. And, and even then I was a thought leader, though I didn't think of myself that way, but I, I, thousands of people would come on my programs and I was working with the people at the heads of their fields. And, you know, so I was doing that, but it was coming out of what I was learning to get myself. Okay. I had an epiphany in 2007 or eight, uh, where I suddenly saw beyond a shadow of a doubt, I was fine. Always had been, just didn't notice. Mm. And from that moment forward, it was like the curve changed direction. And now it all started from, well, I'm fine. So how can I help? And, and, and that became a, just a genuine sharing from abundance, sharing from more than enough mm. instead of, what it was before, which was still clean. I, I honor what I did before. I was sharing what had helped me. I'm still kind of sharing what helped me, but just from a different place. What do you think people hear when you, when you share from this place? What is it that you think that they feel or hear or see when you share from this place? Well, most people feel a lot more settled, quieter, less freaked out, more 
reflective, but also much more lighthearted. If there is one affliction in business, it's seriousness. But I don't mean seriousness as in taking things seriously. Of course you have to take things seriously. I mean as in heaviness. Like somehow heaviness, stress, and pressure are the keys to business success. That's insane. Like that is literally insane. And yet so much business culture is built around that fundamental premise. So when people hang out with me, when I work with people as a coach, when I lead teams, when I teach leaders, a lot of what I'm showing them is we add in all the heaviness, all the stress and all the pressure ourselves. None of that is inherent. Doesn't have to be. Yes. No. And it's okay. We'll do that. I mean, sometimes it will feel that way, but when you start to take your seriousness less seriously, you do really well. Mm. Well, what I hear as well is um, there's a, there's a kind of, uh, authenticity and humanity in sharing both experiences, the good and the bad, the, the, everything that you are and everything that you have experienced where people resonate with that because we are all the same at the end. Yeah. All experiencing, going through the same um, yeah, battles and, and the same joys and as, with more or less awareness around it. So I, I wrote a chapter in one of my books called Becoming Human. And it's one of, I think, the biggest shocks to people when we talk about it. Because essentially what I say is if you go to a traditional therapist and tell them, oh, I'm feeling really stressed and pissed off and overwhelmed and like I don't know what I'm doing, the therapist will, will guide you into the past and will guide you towards an understanding of where you first, where those feelings came from and may have some suggestions about what to do about them. If you go with those same complaints, those same problems, those same symptoms to a coach, a traditional coach, they'll say to you, okay, we can work on that. We'll work on your self-esteem. We'll work on your self-worth. We'll work on your stress management. We'll work on this. We'll work on that. We'll build a new you that can handle this all really well. If you go to somebody with an inside out understanding of the mind, which is how I describe my work, and you say to them, man, I'm feeling really stressed out and under pressure and I'm pissed off with everyone and this is really frustrating and I'm not sure I'm up for it. Chances are the person will say, yeah, I get like that sometimes. What do you want to talk about? We all get like that sometimes. It's not a problem unless you make it one. And there's something really liberating about having permission to be human. Yes, and it doesn't stop us from doing great things in the world. No, and I mean, I think I, in a way, was fortunate to be able to see this because I've worked from a very early age with very successful and sometimes very famous people. And they're all the same. Yes. I mean, literally at one point when I moved to LA, I was working with three screenwriters simultaneously, one of whom had sold a, a, you know, a movie to Spielberg and was making millions, one of whom had just sold his first film, and one of whom was still trying to make it. And they had the exact same issues. And it was like, oh, okay. This isn't a function of circumstance. This is a function of being human. Yes.
Yes, and it's so, it's so beautiful to observe this everywhere, regardless which function, role, nationality, everywhere in the world, we are just like human beings. Yeah. And, um, and, and one of the things that I've found also uh, beautiful in, in learning um, this understanding and, and, and exploring more and more this understanding is um, this connection with this, um, with, with, our, um, with our spiritual side and uh, that we all share. And, uh, and, and in this spirituality, there's a room for all the emotions and room for all the experiences, the human experiences that we all have. And, uh, and that's also beautiful. And that makes you human, me human, and every people who's listening to this, uh, to this podcast the same way. So, yeah, I mean, look, I'm not religious, but I'm not afraid of the word God. It mm. might mean something different to me than it does to many people. To me, it's a way of talking about the oneness of life. It's the way of talking about whatever it is that spins the planets, whether it's biology or nature. I, like, there's, I know I'm not doing it. Mm. Well, so often when I speak, I, I just use whatever words come out of my mouth, and often the word God will come out of my mouth. And nobody seems to mind as much as you'd think. Well, I was giving a talk a day in Copenhagen. And they had in the room, there were leadership teams from some of the top companies in Denmark and from the government. And I noticed, it wasn't deliberate, but I noticed throughout the course of the day, the word God never came out of my mouth. And I thought, oh, maybe it's somehow because I know that it's a somewhat secular country and that the, it would be inappropriate or, or I don't know. I was kind of like just noticing it with interest. Well, at the end of the day, we had each leadership team make a presentation on what they had gotten and how they would apply it. And every single leadership team used the word God. And I was fascinated because it just made it so obvious. We all get it. We might have totally different language for it. We, we, we might from time to time get really caught up in that language, but we get it. We know we're not in charge of the universe and we know that it's okay that we function somehow nonetheless and we can lead even though we're not in charge. And that's kind of cool. Yeah. And, and that's, that's kind of cool. And that's kind of beautiful. That feels also so good to, to, to feel connected mm. with this uh, source of knowledge and source of wisdom. Yeah. And uh, how, how do you, um, how do you relate to the future? as so when we talk about um the when we talk about these um god or source of knowledge or uh, yes spiritual connection that we all have how does it relate to the to the future because as an entrepreneur there's a kind of a, a future thinking that everybody's having the all the leaders that i know are, are having that they're planning and their business plans and all this stuff and how, how does it connect with this god connection <laughs> how does well, it fit I, I i make a distinction between thinking about the future and creating in the present so I can make up any future, and in any given day, I'm making up positive and negative futures in pretty much equal amounts, right? I get in an email that 
with an opportunity and suddenly the whole future is bright and I get in an email finding out that somebody's dropped out of something and now nothing's going to work. And at some point it became apparent to me just how made up the future is. And at that point it stopped looking like it was worth making up better futures. Same as it, it stopped making sense to um, make up and believe in ugly futures. So I had a, a client who had cancer and she really got mad uh, anytime somebody suggested to her that she was going to be okay. Cause she would say, well, they don't know that. And, and she would pick out these scenarios where, well, this could lead to this, which could lead to this, which could lead to this, which could lead to this. And sometimes things like if I am in a building with too much plastic, I'm going to die, you know, kind of, you could see the chain of logic, but it was pretty extreme. And one day I said, well, look, if you're going to indulge in that kind of thinking, then you've got to be willing to indulge in ridiculous positive thinking too. You, you've got to be open to the possibility of spontaneous remission. If you're going to make up that being in a building with plastic is going to kill you. And she totally got that. Yeah, and at that right, so she stopped taking either future seriously. It wasn't that she put her energy into creating a positive one and making up a positive one. Now that's thinking about the future. Creating is, here's what I'd love to see in the world. Here's what I'd love to get out of my head and into the world. I do that in any moment. Now, yes, at some point in time, the world may look different than it did when I started. But that's not the future. That's still real time. And it seems to me that our creativity is a real time responsive intelligence. It, it, it is only there now. It, it can't help us in an imagined future, which is what a lot of scenario planning is. Well, if this happens, we'll do that. If that happens, we'll do this. And it's like, okay, but you have no idea what you're really going to do. So it doesn't strike me as being worth a hell of a lot of time and energy thinking about it. But does it mean that you don't, you don't plan anything? No, no business plan, no, pla no, no project plan? You, you don't need that anymore? No, we do planning, but, but there's two different, there's three elements to planning, let's say. So sometimes planning is self-soothing. Right? We're freaked out because we don't know what's going to happen. So we make a plan that's plausible enough that we're less freaked out. And that's no different to taking an Ativan or a or Xanax or whatever, or a drink. Like it, it's, it's healthier, I suppose, probably than, than, than pharmaceuticals, but it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. There's another kind of planning, which is thinking about where you might like to take things and what's liable to happen around the way. And that's just kind of helpful. It, it softens the ground. It opens up possibilities. It gets your mind aimed in a certain direction. And I do that. And then if you have a sufficiently large company that you need to coordinate action across a very wide range of people, well, then planning is necessary so you can coordinate action. There are... To my mind, so many leadership strategies and tactics that are necessary in a company with 5,000 people 
that are ridiculous to apply to a company with 10 or even 50. And, and so it's not that planning is good or bad. It's why are you doing it? If you're doing it to self-soothe, well, it's probably harmless enough. If, if you're doing it to kind of open up possibility and kind of pay attention, great. And, and if you're doing it because you need to coordinate action across a wide front, well, then that's helpful too. Mm-hmm. Well, slowly cl- coming to, uh, to the end of, of this conversation. And uh, um, let's uh, see, is there, is there anything that you would say to somebody who is working in a corporation with very, yeah, so some, a, a big organization around him or her, and we say, yeah, that's all good, but it doesn't apply to me uh, because we have restrictions here and so we need, so the rules of the games are, are different here. Um, is there anything, any, any key message that you would send to a leader who's, yeah, involved in an organization and feels like a bit caught in the structure around him or her? The more you understand why you're hot when you're hot and you're not when you're not, why sometimes you can be brilliant and incisive and decisive and other times you're kind of a puddle of insecurities and and anger, it gets much easier to navigate. When you understand it to the point where you can begin to share it with your team, with your company, with your followers, then you start to create a culture where people navigate life, business, their own psychology, other people's psychologies with a much higher degree of ease and grace. And that is what's on offer. That's what's possible. And also the restrictions and the, 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 the feeling of stuckness is also just a fault. And, yeah. and look, games have rules. If, if they didn't have rules, that wouldn't be a game. So if you don't want to play a particular game, nobody's going to make you. But if you're in a game, you'll get to find out which rules you have to abide by and which ones are optional. Very Thank you very much. A pleasure. Thank you very much, Michael. And um, I will um, share share the links to your to your books because I think they are very very useful. Okay. And um, I yeah, I'm very happy that we had this conversation, and I'm very, very much welcome. to continuing to to learn and exploring with you and um, and I hope it was useful also for our audience. So thank you for that. Thanks for listening. That was another edition of Leadership Backstage. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. And if you want to know more about me or have a conversation with me, you can get in touch via dsh-internationalhr.com.